Christ. Christian Ministries proudly presents Our Faith Week. This is part six in a series designed to equip, encourage, and instill hope. Join Pastor Susan Allen as she speaks to us on faith. Well, last night was great, man. And the only reason we've studied under some of the best, Tim, you and I have been privileged to know some of the greatest faith ministers in the world. And so it's just really an accumulation of knowledge and wisdom that we get to pass down to the next generations that that they'll know how to walk in health and pass it down to their children. I want to thank Tim for putting this conference on. You know, most of you here are around here enough to know these things aren't easy. There's other things you could be doing. But to, when you have a pastor that loves you enough to want you to know how to walk in faith, that he's willing to give up his time and sow into his people, you should thank him. We're going to spend a few minutes. I'm going to try to be short like Ashley. No, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I want to make sure we we have some principles of faith nailed down. I didn't get to hear what Tim taught. I didn't get to hear uh, what Josh taught. So I'm kind of flying blind here. But we got to cover Mark 11. We we can't leave the study of faith and not talk about Mark 11. It's one of the most important passages on faith that we can find. So, you know, it's going to be more of a study time today. I feel real calm. I was real wound last night. That's about as wound as I get. I I just want to make sure we have this principle nailed down. I checked with Tim and Ashley to make sure that they weren't going to cover it. And I think Ashley took care of me and marked out what he was going to cover so I could cover it. We take care of each other around here, don't we? So turn to Mark 11, and that's where we're going to camp. And we're going to start in verse 12. Jesus and the disciples are are headed into town. And it says, And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Now there's a whole other story going on here, Jesus teaching about their fruitless religion. But that's not where we're going today. Verse 14, And Jesus answered and said unto it, I just find that fascinating. You know, when you read the Bible, read it. Because he sees this tree, it has leaves, but it doesn't have any figs on it. And Jesus answered. He, Jesus answered and said unto it. Jesus answered that. When something presents itself in our life that isn't right, it has to be dealt with, and it has to be answered. And Jesus answered and said unto it, and we'll pick this apart here in a minute, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. When Jesus puts a forever on there, that tree is not going to produce anything. Forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip down to verse 19. Because they went into town, you know, went about their business. Verse 19 says, And when evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, 
Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things that he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Let's just go all the way back to verse 14. Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. First of all, I love that he spoke to the situation. We have to be really careful that we don't talk about the situation, but that we speak to the situation. And I don't know about y'all, but it's really easy to get those to cross that line there. Jesus didn't talk about the situation. He didn't go, boys, I want you to look at that tree. That tree should have figs. Now I'm hungry and it doesn't have figs. How am I going to eat? How am I supposed to eat? Jesus was not a complainer. He wasn't a complainer. He changed circumstances and situations. He didn't complain about them. So Jesus speaks to the situation. I have to emphasize right here the word speaks. That he said unto it. Because I think sometimes in the movies we see Jesus as this mystic guy and, you know, he like beams his eyes at the tree and it fries. Jesus didn't think it. Jesus said it. And, and I'm going to make a whole lot of religious people mad right here. Do not thank your prayers. Thank you, D. Thank you, Deanne, for that Bible slap you just did for me there. We'll talk about why here in a minute. Silent prayer is a big thing. People talk about silent prayer. I can't find it. I can't find it in the Word. I can't find it in there. Jesus said to it, there is something about our releasing of words there is, there is a spiritual principle there that applies in this natural world. It is the way God created this world. The world is literally upheld by the word of his power. And if he created this natural world by words, why do we find it so odd that it is upheld by words? It's the way he created it to function. It's the system that it's created on. And I think that we forget that. We need to go back to Genesis sometimes and just look at how many times God said. God said. God said. He didn't think. Beam, light. He said it. And because he said it, now light is still upheld by those words. It's important. That you release and that you use the power of your words and not just think it. Now, meditation has kind of become a dirty word in, in the church because the world has taken it and twisted it. But meditation was God's idea. I mean, you can go all the way back to Joshua 1.8. You know, you're to meditate the word day and night. Why? So that you deserve to do it. Meditation's great. That's thinking, mulling it over. It even means to mutter it, to, 
to think through it in your mind. Meditating the word is great. We're supposed to meditate the word. And out of that meditating the word, words are going to burst forth out of you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak, not think. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of what you've been mulling over, mulling, that's kind of an Arkansas word, isn't it? Mulling over, then words are going to come out of that, and that's why we put them in our heart. So meditate the word, absolutely, but speak your prayers and speak to circumstances. Speak, use that, speak to the physical, because your words release your authority. Your, your words release that authority that God's given you in the physical realm. They state your will. And God's got to have your will. Really? Yes. He needs your will. Otherwise, we'd all be saved and we'd all be perfect little humans. But he needs our will. And when we state our will, and boy, the most beautiful thing is we talked about God's will last night and God's will being his word. When our words are stating his will, hmm, things are fixing to change. So we say about ourselves what God says about us. We speak to the circumstances and demand the physical to change, to line up with the word and the will of God. And we release our authority and exercise our dominion that was given to us back in Genesis 1. It was established then the dominion of man on the earth. And we've just kind of let life happen. No, when there's a tornado rolling through, you speak. He gave you dominion in Genesis 1. Adam didn't take it. Jesus did. We're following after Jesus, not after Adam. Adam's, Adam's sin was silence. Preach that another day. Thanks, Terry. Tim will get it later. <laughs> what Tanya sends you the message. You don't even have to work for it. Man, a wolf just fall from heaven. Man, use your words. In Mark 4, Jesus, Jesus rebukes the wind. And he speaks to the waves. That's, that's using his, his God-given authority, his, his human God-given authority. Remember, he laid down his deity powers, Philippians 2. He laid down his, his deity powers. He came to earth as a mere man. So the authority that he walked in was the God-given authority that was given in Genesis. The same authority that you have. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you. And so, you know, we kind of, look, I, I've, I've seen it happen. Walk out on the front porch, tell that thing to dissipate and to go back up into the sky. But you gotta, you got to know that you have the authority and the right to do that. And he's telling us how this operates. And he's showing us how this operates. And I love Mark 4 when Jesus, oh, you know, I love Rick Renner. Thank you, Hedy Lou, for 
like in Rick Renner, because, oh my goodness, he studies those Greek words and it's just amazing. But he says, when Jesus rebuked that wind in Mark 4, it means he shamed it. Well, the atmosphere. He shamed it. He told it who it was, that it was nothing. He rebuked it. It was a rebuke. He didn't just speak. It was a rebuke. We have more authority than we know. Absolutely. Because his, we're speaking his word. His word has his authority behind it. If Tim's the boss here, which we all know he is, and Tim's, Tim gives me the authority to do something, and I go do it. I'm not doing it on my own authority. I'm doing it on Tim's. So when you speak to situations, circumstances, even to your bodies, you're, and you're doing it in line with God's word, you're doing it. It's his authority that backs up your words. It's not just your words. It's his words being spoke through your mouth, and that's when great things happen. So back to, back to Mark 11. They, they go into town. They go about their business, which I think is a lesson within itself. Jesus just said what needed to be said, and he walked away from it. He, you know, he expected it to happen. He didn't have to stand there and watch for it. He went on into town. He took care of his business. And then in verse 19, it says, When evening was come, he went out of the city, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This is a very important lesson. Because when Jesus left there and the disciples left there the day before, they could see no change. Jesus had spoken. He had told it to dry up, that it was cursed. Tree looked the same. Jesus walked away, went about his business. He had such faith in his words that he could speak and walk away and expect it to change. Well, the disciples come back by and they're like, oh my goodness. Do you see that? Jesus, the fig tree that you, well, you may read it. The, the fig tree that you cursed, it's dried up. But it had dried up from the roots. When Jesus spoke, something started happening down under that earth. Nobody could see it. It wasn't picked up by the senses at all, but something was happening. When you had hands laid on you last night, sis, you couldn't, you might not could see it. Some people, Terry had an instant healing. Some people it wasn't. Something started happening down under there. Whether it could be sensed or not be sensed is not important. Let the word do its work. Leave it said. Go. Mark 4, parable of the sower. We sow the word. We rise and sleep night and day. It springs up. We don't know how. But we let it do its work. So you speak the word over the circumstances, you speak the will of God, the word of God over the circumstances, and you let it be said, and if you can't sense it, doesn't matter. There's something happening. Don't stop it with your words by saying, oh, I don't feel anything. Oh, I thought I got my healing, but now when this morning when I got up, I felt that pain. Mm-mm. You're digging up what you sowed. You've got to let it work. You've got to leave it in the ground. You can't trust your senses. They are limited. Your senses are limited to the five, to the physical realm. And so you, you I heard Michelle Steele say this once, and, I, and I'll say this again. If, you, if you're not listening, Michelle Steele, she's a great woman of faith. 
and preaches the word with authority and power and amazing. She said this one time at our church. She said, the physical's the last to know. Why are we checking the physical? The physical's the last to know. The last to know. Why? Because everything happens in the spirit before it happens in the physical. The physical was created by the spiritual. So it happens in the spiritual realm first, and then it manifests itself in the physical, just like it has ever since Genesis. So don't be checking the physical to see if the spiritual is working. We've got that in reverse, and we're relying on our senses. The physical is the last evidence. Faith is the first evidence. That's what Tim taught from Hebrews 11. I love it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by And you can insert the word senses right there. We walk by faith and not by our senses. What we see is the word. And that is our evidence. So, verse 21. Peter called to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree that you cursed, it's withered away. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Have faith in God. Your margin probably says, Have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. Are we not created in his image and after his likeness? Does he not expect us to operate out of his principles? He's saying, if you've got a situation, have the faith of God. Do, do what God would want you to do right here. Verse 23, Jesus is still speaking. And when he starts off this sentence, he says, for verily, it's very Southern in it, for verily, I say unto you. That means what I'm fixing to tell you, listen up because it's important. For verily, I say unto you that whosoever Isn't that a beautiful word? Who's excluded from whosoever? Nobody. It means if you operate in this principle, you will get these results. Whosoever. Not if you're good enough. Not if you've behaved well enough. Not if you've been in church all your life. Whosoever learns this principle. Whosoever shall say. Whosoever shall say. First of all, I have to qualify as a whosoever. I think I've got that one down. My next qualification is I'm supposed to be speaking. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. We're speaking to the circumstance. We're speaking to the situation. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Great principle of faith. Speak to the mountain, not about the mountain. What are we speaking? We're speaking the desired end. It's, it's spoken this of God several different times in the scripture that he declares the end from the beginning. Operate like him. Operate like him. He declares the end from the beginning. So Jesus says, be thou cast in the sea. Because that's the desires for the mountain to be gone. That's the desires for the cancer to be gone. That's the desires for the debt to be gone. That's the desire. You speak the desire. Be thou cast in the sea 
and shall not doubt in his heart. And that one just kind of makes us back up a minute. Because we know full well from the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, that as soon as the word is sown in our hearts, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. He wants to get it before it has time to take root. So as soon as you decide you're healed by the stripes of Jesus, as soon as you decide that you're going to tithe and that the blessings of the tither are going to come on you, about that time, the dishwasher's going to break down, uh, the, the car is going to have a flat, and every circumstance in the world is going to come against the word that you've heard because Satan wants to steal the word immediately before it has time to take root in your heart. Because once you've lived it and you know it works, it cannot be taken from you. And it's going to produce in your life. So we've got to be ready for that immediately. As soon as you speak to that mountain, you've got to get, the mountain is suddenly going to grow. Oh, I told you to be casting the sea. It's going to look bigger. The situation is going to look bigger. The marriage is going to be worse. The kids are going to be acting up more. You know, a gazillion different things starts happening because immediately it's fixing to happen. And Jesus warned us about it in Mark chapter 4. When you decide you're going to believe the word, you decide you're going to walk in faith, immediately Satan's going to come to hear the word. So when we read this and it says, and shall not doubt in his heart, some of our minds go, oh, well, wait, I must not be in faith because I had doubt. I'm going to pull a Jesus here. Verily I say unto you, doubt is going to come. If you, when you decide to believe, doubt is going to come. And just because doubt comes does not mean you're not in faith. It's not whether or not doubt comes. It's what you do with the doubt when it comes. You came up for healing last night, thoughts of doubts are going to come. If you got saved last night, thoughts of doubts are going to come. But it's what you do with those. And, oh, if you've never studied Kenneth Hagin, the father of faith of, our, of my generation. Read his stuff. Uh, Kenyon, Hagen, oh, Smith Wigglesworth, T.L. Osborne. Mm. So many great people of faith that, could, that teach these principles. And, and they may use some old sayings, but they make really good sense. And Kenneth Hagin would always say this when he was talking about doubts. He'd say, birds may fly over your head, but that doesn't mean you need to let them nest in your hair. Thoughts of doubt come, but that doesn't mean that you need to keep them and entertain them and let them make their home in you. How do you answer thoughts of doubt? With the word. The thought comes, yeah, she prayed for my hip. It felt great last night, but this morning I can't walk on it. How are you going to answer that thought of doubt? You're going to speak the word. No, we set a time to receive last night, right? I was healed Tuesday night. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I was healed when he took my stripes on that cross. His stripes are my proof of my healing. And you answer that doubt and suddenly doubt's not there. And every time it comes, you do the same thing. So when it says, okay, all this will happen if you doubt not in your heart, don't panic because thoughts of doubt come. Deal with the thoughts of doubt by speaking the word. So Jesus gives a great lesson. We're not going to turn there for lack of time because I told Tim I was going to be short and suddenly I'm not. Um, Mark, in Mark 5, you remember Jesus is on his way uh, to the ruler of the synagogue uh, to heal his daughter. And it gets delayed, and it gets delayed because there's this woman with an issue of blood, 
and she kind of stops the procession because she set a time to receive, and she goes in there and gets, she goes in there, faith seizes uh, the promise. But the messengers come then, and, and in front of this father, they say, look, don't trouble the master anymore. I, I believe it's around verse 36. And as soon as Jesus hears what that messenger said, is the messenger's coming and saying, look, don't bother bringing Jesus to your house. Your daughter's dead. One version says, Jesus overhearing but ignoring. We need to do a lot of that. Jesus immediately looks at the father and says, do not be afraid. Only believe. You know what he just did? He just dealt with doubt. Because he just heard something adverse. Jesus had just said, I'll come and heal her. And now circumstances come that look like that's not happening. And Jesus shuts him up before he can say anything. Before his emotions can take charge of him. Jesus says, "Mm, do not Fear. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Man, leave said what I said. I said you were healed. I said she was healed. I said I'd come and heal her. Leave said and don't talk contrary to what the word says. Oh, man. Back to Mark 11, verse 23. We got we to gotta get through this. I love this subject, in case y'all can't tell. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast to sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, that's my next requirement, that those things, now if you were sitting in RCC right now at, at the Restful Christian Center, the whole crowd would go into a little chant right here. Because my dad had this so ingrained in our heads but shall believe that those things, those things, those things, those things, those things, which he saith shall come to pass. And the reason he put that so heavy on us is because we tend to want to to say, it'll come to pass if I believe this thing that I saith. But I want to ask you this morning, Do you believe your own words across the board? Because if you're going to walk in faith and excellence, you're going to have to become excellent in your speaking. And you can't call little dogs big and big dogs little or talk about how cold it is outside when it's 100 degrees because that's not excellent speech. That's foolishness. And if you're going to believe that those things that you say come to pass, not just this thing you're believing for, but that you believe the power of your words. That's a principle we've got to get down. We're supposed to add to our faith excellence. It'll take sarcasm out of our vocabulary. It'll take stretching the truth out of our vocabulary. And you just look at Jesus, how he spoke. He reined it in, didn't he, sis? 
Why? Because when he said something, he needed to believe that it was going to come to pass. So he didn't mess with his words. They weren't something to be messed with. So you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe that those things which you say shall come to pass. Then you shall have whatsoever you say. Not this thing, but those things. We have a society speaking things that they know aren't going to happen. We speak things that we know aren't going to happen. We, we do it in, in jesting, but it's still not excellence in our speech. We know, we know they're not true, and therefore we have no faith in our words. We, we say we're going to be there at 1030. We know full well we're not going to be there at 1030. We don't have faith in our own words. So then when we go to lay hands on somebody and we expect to believe our words, we've mingled our seed. And our seed isn't pure, like the mustard seed. If you weren't here for Tim's message, you missed it. When we speak something in faith... It'll carry no authority or no power if we don't have faith in our words. So let's, let's rein it in. If we want to be excellent in faith, let's clean up our speech. I'm not talking about not cussing. I'm talking about clean up your speech. Don't jest about things and say things that you know aren't true. Don't say it's cold outside if it's hot outside. Why? It's just excellence. It's preparing you for the life of faith. Verse 24, he says, Therefore, because of this, I say to you, what things soever you desire. What? We're supposed to be praying what we desire, not what we fear? Yeah, we're supposed to speak what we desire, not what we're afraid of. That'll change your prayer life. That'll change how you talk. Speak what you desire. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. When do you receive them? When do you believe you receive them? When you see them? No. When you pray, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. That's faith. Not waiting until you can see it to believe it, but to believe it when you pray. And so don't pray until you can believe it. Oh, what am I supposed to do? You start building your faith. And when you've got your faith built, then you speak. I think sometimes we speak too soon, Tim. We don't have God's word established on it. That's called hope. Let's get in there, build our faith, find God's word on it, know that he's true to his word, that he's faithful to his word, that his word is forever settled in heaven. It does not change because of my circumstances, but it will change my circumstances if I can believe that I receive it when I pray. We pray too soon sometimes. We speak too soon sometimes. We don't have things established. And then we see them as faith failures. They're not faith failures. Faith doesn't fail. I'm growing in faith. Faith is a process. 
I love how God is willing to help us grow. Look at what he did with Abraham, how he taught him all the way through. And even though he had some slip ups and it took him, what, 24 years to obtain the promise, God helped him through every bit of that process. He wants you to develop in your faith and he is more than willing to help you. So get a hold of that. When you believe, believe when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And I think sometimes that we think if we don't have it immediately, that we must not have been in faith. No, something started under there, remember? Let, let patience have her perfect work so that you are wanting nothing. We need to let faith do its work, just like Jesus did. Speak to that thing. He spoke to that tree. He walked away, went about his business, and he left it said, and he let faith do its work. We are an impatient society. And when you're dealing with the physical realm, there are things that have to be changed and moved and, and, and worked on sometimes. You, if you spent 50 years building up your life of debt, don't think you're going to come up here and Tim lay hands on you and, and your debt be paid that day. No, the principle of faith is going to start to work on you. And first of all, you're going to show up to work on time. You're going to be the best worker there. You're going to set your hands to the plow. God's going to be able to bless everything you set your hands to do. And then you're going to start tithing. And then the blessings of the tither are going to come on you. And you're going to be a generous giver to the people and the needs around you. And then God's going to be able to multiply. And that's a process of faith. And so we need to look at this shall word. You shall have. You shall have. Don't get discouraged because you can't see it. There's something happening in the spiritual realm. And before long, before you know it, something's going to bust out in the physical. And then you're going to go, oh, look, the tree you cursed. Yeah, it's been at work all the time. Healing's been at work in your body all the time. If you didn't call faith off the job, faith's at work. Don't call it off the job. Leave it, leave it said and let it work. When Jesus spoke to that tree, they didn't see a change. You may not see a change in your body. Let faith work. Hang in there. Stand on the word. Do what it says we talked about last night. Praise. Because that's what you would do if you could see it. The first thing out of my mouth should be the desired end. When something happens, the first thing out of my mouth should be the desired end. Didn't we just talk about God doing that, declaring the end from the beginning? Instead of speaking what we fear the end result's going to be, the first thing out of your mouth when a pain comes on your body ought to be the desired end. What's the desired end? I am healed. I was healed. Jesus healed me. That's the desired end. That should be the first thing out of your mouth. That should be the last thing out of your mouth. That should be all the in-between out of your mouth. We don't speak contrary to the word of God. If it's not the word of God, it's a lie. His word is the truth. The truth is, and it, it, it may be a fact that there is sickness in your body. But there is a higher truth that will supersede that fact. 
See, we don't deny that there's sickness and disease. We don't deny that there's debt. We don't deny that there's issues in your marriage. We don't deny that there's a problem with your kids. Denying doesn't do anything. And I've heard people say this, thinking that they're making a faith statement. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not, you're sick. Your nose is snotty. You're coughing all over everybody. You're sick. That, there's no truth in that. The truth is the word. By Jesus' stripes you were healed is the truth. And that truth will supersede the fact that you are sick. So don't deny things. Take authority over the things. The tree existed. Jesus didn't look at the tree and say, you don't exist. You don't exist. You're not a tree. You're not a tree. We do that sometimes. I hear people do that. No. No, there's, there's a huge difference. I'm just going to finish by reading it again. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. We need to get to believing and get to speaking. And I love something one of the guys at our church said. He said, speak it till you believe it. You were made to believe what you say. You were created to believe what you say. And we've been saying the wrong things. And we've been believing the wrong things. So we've got we to get our words in line. And then once we do, we were created to believe what we say. So let's say what we want to believe. Okay? Let's rein that speech in. Y'all can stand. Let's pray. Man, if you're in bondage, you say you're free. The word, that's right. The word says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's so. He said it's so, it's so. And it's not a lie for me to say it. People go through that. I can't say I'm healed when I'm sick. People think I'm lying. You're not lying. You're saying what God said. He's not a liar. So you say what the word says. It's the truth. Amen. Father, I thank you for these. All that have taken time out of their day to come sow your word in their heart. Father, I thank you that they are blessed coming in and they are blessed going out. That your word, they are giving it precedent in their life. They are giving it final word, final authority in their lives. And you said, Father, if we would declare a thing, that you would establish it. And we are declaring your word. Because we know it's already proven. It's already been tested and it's already been proven. It is the truth in our lives and it is more real to us than the physical realm. We trust in you. And we thank you that the word is at work and we'll not call it off the job, but we'll let it finish because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And to God be the glory for the things that are done in the lives of these. And as they share their story, hope will come to others. And they'll have to know more about faith. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us each week for the CMC podcast. Go to cmchurch.com for more information about all the great things CMC has for you.